So let's start this meeting. I will start first with a preface. Um, RLS is a pan-decolonial network and grassroots organization based in Amsterdam. And we actively foster inter-organizational collaborations towards decolonization. Um, and for RLS, it has been a very interesting and challenging year as we started with the Indigenous Liberation Series in times of COVID. And starting an organization in time with lockdown um, asks a lot of patience, creativity, and improvising. The resilience of the team made it possible to proceed with our vision towards a fundamental system change and a radical change of values. So on behalf of the board members of RLS, we are very proud of our team and the great work they have done so far. Okay. So let's see who is behind the scenes and introduce our team. Um, in our team, the names are Chautileo, Chris, Pravini, Chihiro, and Max. Most of you already know them. Um, um, I will start with uh, Chihiro. I will ask all of you who you are, what is your background, and why do you find it important to have started this initiative? Shihiro Geusebroek. Um, you, yeah, you work on climate justice, especially at the white environmental organizations. You create awareness about indigenous struggles. You criticize capitalism and system thinking. There's Shihiro. More, yes. And even more, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 the only way I can summarize it in one sentence is to restore and restore relationship with earth and each other. Um, yes, I'm happy to be here with you tonight. I think the question was around um, what makes the this organization uh, necessary for me. Was mm -hmm. that the question that you wanted to? Oh, more, maybe more an introduction, who, introduction, who you are and um, what who, do you do? Yeah, who is she here? Facebook. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I think you 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 named a few elements of uh, yeah. climate justice activism. I work as a trainer and as a um, story advisor, um, and I do writing and spoken word. Um, and I also made an exposition last year. So working through different muscles. Uh, my background is in media studies, and so I'll always use communication to kind of detox from a lot of toxic logics and mm. um, ways of being and ways of doing in order to uh, to have a wholesome struggle for anti-oppression. Wow, thank you, thank you. We'll talk about uh, more activities that you do later on in the program. Thank you, Shihiro. Um, then we go to our next person, that's Pravini Baburam. Pravini. Yes, good evening. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> Pravini, I know you work at ECHO Expertise Center on Diversity Policy. Yeah. Uh, I know that your dad is uh, Sadhu Hira. He created a platform, the Decolonial International Network. I want to hear more about that as well. And of course, about your documentary, The Uprising and your toolkit. First, introduce yourself. Pravini. Yes. 
Thank you. First of all, good evening, everyone. So good to, to have you here tonight. Indeed, my name is Pravini Baburam, and I'm an artist and activist. So um, I started out as a musician um, with my own band as a singer-songwriter, and um, that has evolved into um, filmmaking and now also writing. Um, and for me, I try to use art as a means for social change. Um, and indeed, I created the uprising, um, which included Shaima, who was uh, also part of <laughs> the film with, uh, with her work on Palestine. Um, and I'm also very much involved in the Hindustani community. Um, so very involved in Indo-Caribbean uh, resistance, um, <clears throat> which I find important to mention because I think um, in the social debate, the Hindustani community is considered conservative, but there's a really uh, important progressive and decolonial um, sound within our community that I, I want to uh, bring to the forefront also in the decolonial uh, movement. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, from that perspective, I also co-founded Holy is Not a House Party, um, which is an organization that tries to challenge uh, cultural appropriation of the Hindu Spring Festival Holi. Um, and I was also involved in um, a, a campaign to um, uh, bring the Hindustani warrior resistance, Jani Tituri, into back to a collective uh, memory. Um, so in that sense, I really try to um, bring forth the decolonial perspectives from our community. And indeed, I, I also work at a, an NGO, uh, ECHO. Um, and in that context, I focus on diversity and inclusion in higher education and the labor market. So um, that also gives me a sense of what's going on in the diversity field um, and how that relates to decolonization, which we'll talk about uh, more later on in this yeah. session. So that's it for now. Um, and again, thank you so much. I'm really excited to, uh, to see you all here tonight. Thank you, Pavini. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so we go to Chris. Chris de Ploeg. Yes. You Thanks, are an, hello. You are yeah. an investigative uh, journalist and author, organizer, speaker, and you talk about let me say geopolitics and economic imperialism, um, neo-colonialism. Did I say it correct? <laughs> neo-colonialism. Yeah, it's basically colonialism with yeah. neo before. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks for introducing me and thanks everyone for uh, for joining. Uh, yeah, so basically uh, I'm a freelance journalist and um, I'm also an organizer uh, before RLS. I worked a few years for Studio K where uh, I organized social justice events with uh, really a lot of different groups, uh, anti-racist, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist uh, uh, events. Um, and uh, before that, I was also involved with the student movement, uh, also against neoliberalization, but as, as well as uh, anti-racism and decolonization. Um, and, um, and most recently, I'm uh, working with uh, setting up a new foundation. Uh, Chao Tuleo is also working on that, uh, which is called Masnawen, uh, which uh, aims to restore the ecosystem of central Chile or Wamapu uh, in cooperation with the indigenous communities and farmers there. Uh, but we're still setting that up. So, um, so that's uh, that's me in a in a nutshell, I think. In a short yeah. version. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much, Chris. Thank you very much. Um, okay, then we go to Chao Tuleo. Chao Tuleo Kum. She is Mapuche Prevenger herself, 
also work on the indigenous liberation series and create is creating awareness about the indigenous human rights as well. Also creating more visibility about adoption and reclaiming your identity. So you work on mental well-being and spirituality. Chateleo. Thank you. I'm always like find it hard to introduce <laughs> myself. <laughs> so I'm happy that you give like some pieces away. Uh, my name is Chateleo. Um, I was born in Chile, Juan Mapo. Um, many countries knows like uh, many stolen indigenous uh, children and I was one of them. So I'm one of the stolen generations and I see myself as a seed planted somewhere else and became somehow a flower. So, and in that sense, I try to uh, create harmony and balance. And I've worked uh, a lot in the peace buildings um, yeah, sector. Um, my background is also political science, international relations, genocide studies and conflict studies. So that was kind of my goal to find my way in the peace building, but it's like a hard uh, era to work. Mm -hmm. And then um, um, I try to find out like, how can I um, decolonize my adoption? Because it's like an illegal one. So I started to work with a lot of people who have the same background as Alejandro was saying, and uh, trying to find my way, how to uh, get reparation, how to get justice, how mm. to get truth seeking. Uh, all kind of elements are basically like uh, in this decolonization like concepts. And I'm feeling like I'm living the life of it. And mm. I try to make sure that whatever I do, I don't act like a colonist. I try to make sure that wherever I'm coming, I try to keep my balance, keep my harmony, and keep sure that the one flower is there. And with more flowers, we can create a field of flowers, even in, in conflict areas. So Beautiful. that's Beautiful. me. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chatileo. Okay, then we will have Max van der Ploeg. He is our hardcore community builder, <laughs> grassroots organizer, project leader, and a generally active in anti-racism movements and also teach about colonial history and activism and don't forget he's also a musician max yes thank you uh, shaleen for the introduction and i love to hear everyone's introductions as well because i recognize myself in everyone mm -hmm. in the sense that i of what i've heard of everyone's introductions everyone is putting in effort for something they find important something that is unjust in the world it'd be climate adoption refugees i heard doing things through theater palestine and i think all these things are connected they are connected through colonization and uh that's that's what connects us all everyone came here for the word decolonization that brought us together here and there's so many angles to 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 look at it and what it causes uh, harm and I think that's why we should also unite and come together and for me actually uh, a good introduction is your introductions because what I've been doing with my work is giving platform a lot yeah. uh, I've did that at the student protest it began in 2015 where a lot of voices need to be heard organized there a lot of events and then now in Buckhuis before that in Studio K so I've basically worked a lot with groups uh, trying to facilitate voices that usually don't get to be heard. And uh, yeah, I always ask, what would you do if you would have my means? And then uh, try to open doors. Uh, that's what I do uh, in an abstract sense. Uh, 
uh, and that uh, looks like a program maker now at Pakhuis part-time and in the other part I'm uh, also giving lectures now and workshops on the things that I've learned from people like you so um, yeah happy that you're all here and uh, yes. uh, hope we can learn together thank you thank you very much thank you very much Max thank you you're a great example for a community builder I have to say and you're all interconnected that's what I'm definitely seeing um, so let's go to the next part and we will have a small panel discussion. I will um, I remind everybody if you have questions to put them in the chat and uh, at the part of the Q&A sessions, I will ask the questions to our team members. But first, let's go to the panel discussion um, between the team members about the importance of decolonization and the vision of ARALES. Um, let's start with my first question, and that is, um, in your vision, in your vision heading, you have chosen to add, don't diversify, decolonize. Why did you make that choice, and what's the energy behind this heading? Um, who wants to answer? Yes, thank you, Charlene. I'll, uh, I'll answer that. Um, so... Um, Diversity is really important, you know, for decolonization uh, as a process. But um, as we've seen in our practice, decolonization isn't always part of diversity. Mm -hmm. And um, what we mean by that is that in a lot of um, institutions, diversity is really one way to add to the existing norm. So the dominant uh, voices remain dominant and diversity mm -hmm. means adding marginalized voices to the norm, but the status quo remains intact. And decolonization for us means challenging the status quo, challenging mm -hmm. the norm and challenging those dominant voices, dismantling the norm. Um, so for us, that's really important to, to center that in, in, the, in the conversations. Mm -hmm. Second is diversity often means um, is approached from a, a, a democratic um, approach. So if you want change, you need the majority to, uh, to create change. But oftentimes in decolonization processes, it's the minority that is the fuel behind change, you know, because the minority is the oppressed uh, voice often. So for us, it's really important uh, not to focus on a democratic issue but on a moral issue. What's the right thing to do, even if it's not popular at that specific moment in time? Um, and diversity is also often um, has a focus on, um, on emotion and on, on stories um, of, of people rather than focusing on power, power structures and, and you know, institutions. Um, so um, making sure that you know, we focus on challenging power and um, um, you know, uh, looking for the disruption in that sense. Um, those are processes that aren't always part of diversity because at the end of the day, in a lot of organizations, diversity mm -hmm. is a business case. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's it's a way to, um, uh, to 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 remain the status quo. So uh, we don't want to diversify. We want to decolonize because we want to dismantle that system. Powerful. That's powerful. Thank you, Bravini. Thank you. 
Um, okay. Can I, can I add to that? Of course, of course. It's, um, it's like 100% everything Profini said. And she has some amazing slides with that to also keep it super clear and comprehensive. A thing I want to add is from um, uh, from the American or the U United States uh, perspective from a panel where diversity has been around longer as an administrative tool, as a legal tool. And the way I've learned about it is, uh, I'm, I'm gonna read here that diversity amounts to a vague, conflict averse, race evasive, ahistorical celebration of difference. Um, it is an administrative and legal tool to keep people from facing the fact that something happened. So mm. we'll put people in through the door, but on the condition for them to be silenced about uh, the injustice. So it serves a purpose that keeps people innocent, illiterate, ignorant, and indifferent. Mm. And I find that quite, like, I feel that in my stomach. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I find it uh, important to um, evoke. Yeah, yeah. And could, could you give an example of where you can see that diversity is used just for, uh, you can see it in the media right now, nowadays, it, it's not about decolonizing the system anymore. It's about putting diversity visible and, and it's done. It's, you cannot talk about it anymore. We have diversity, so now it's done. That's, that's the thing that you mean, right? Yeah, yeah maybe. maybe oh. oh, sorry. Go ahead, Max. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, um, I, I can also give one example where I could mm. see that diversity was overruling decolonization was when I was active at the uh, student movement in the university. We really tried to actively engage with, hey, what are the ethical values of the university? What is whose interest is it serving for corporations, for instance? Is this ethical? But these questions were put, uh, let's say, downsized because it became about individual experience and including mm. people of color in the institution. Yeah. So we were not allowed to talk about explicitly decolonization in the diversity in the diversity report, which became the diversity report, um, because that would challenge the way the institution functions. So. Uh, and we were at times also said, hey, but can you not emphasize the positive benefits to the institution or, uh, you know, bring it positive so everyone can, you know, uh, feel and then you make more change, but we want a fundamental change. So mm -hmm. you're, you're basically the spectrum of the debate is surrounded about how can we get a seat at a table, but what if mm -hmm. we question the table, how would that look like? Um, and, and that's a whole different conversation that I think is not... Uh, uh, hold enough in the Netherlands, which I think our collective also felt that we need to actively then put this as an emphasis on our uh, vision, because we see this often happening. Mm. And what I also did, uh, I shared a link to our blog, where Provini also has this clear table, what Chihiro said, is uh, you can watch back that lecture where she compares also diversity with decolonization. Uh, there's also links and critiques on diversity underneath the uh, in the blog so that's also maybe a source for people to look at uh, yeah to think about this more great, what it means great. the differences great there's much more to learn thank you very much so don't diversify but decolonize nice okay um so i'm going to my second question and my second question is why is solidarity with the global south important for arales 
Thanks, Shalene. Uh, I'll, I'll take that one. Um, I, th I think this goes also a bit links into the, the last question, uh, because decolonization, if we're talking about decolonization, we're talking about changing structures in society that have been there for 500 years. So that means capitalist structures, but that also means imperialist structures. Um, so the geographic element of colonialism was always very, very important. Uh, where colonized nations were basically extremely exploited, enslaved, uh, we're talking about genocide, ecocide, mm. uh, and these structures never really stopped. If we look at, for example, um, uh, a book published by the first independent president of Ghana, which is also the first uh, decolonized nation in Africa, uh, Kwame Krumah, he uh, published a book uh, on neocolonialism, he coined the term, uh, and he basically says actually, uh, neocolonialism in many ways is, is worse uh, than colonialism because it's so uh, insidious and less explicit. Um, and I can't really do justice now to the whole topic of neocolonialism, but just to give a, a little bit of, uh, of a gist or, or I, I just collected some basic facts. Um, so for example, um, if we're talking about poverty, um, mm. The World Bank uses this ridiculous poverty line of $1.9 a day, which is, you know, by that figure, there are more people undernourished than yeah. there are in poverty, yeah. which is ridiculous. Like you don't have enough food to eat, but you're not poor, supposedly. So if we take like the basic, the really basic, just for basic nutrition, most experts say it's like seven and a half dollars a day you need, which is still like way below any Western poverty line. Um, mm. But by that figure, like the majority of the people in the globe, are still in poverty. Um, and in the Netherlands, it's like half a percent. Uh, mm. So it, it really goes to show, like if we're talking about justice, if we're talking about inequality, if we're talking about oppression, and we're just looking at our own borders, uh, we're really missing the point. And this is not about uh, some white savior complex saving the people there. No, it's about stopping the actual oppression by the West uh, mm. of colonized nations. Um, like uh, there's a, a recent book, uh, it's called The Wealth of Some Nations, uh, and it calculated that about $5 trillion uh, every year goes uh, from colonized nations to, uh, to the global north, to the west, uh, which is more than 30 times, like 35 times uh, the entire uh, budget that the west spends in so-called development aid. So, you know, it just goes to show there's really still this drain going on. Uh, and imperialism is still a major issue. And if we ignore that, we're not really decolonizing. We're ignored, ignoring a huge, huge part of the colonial system, which is a global system. So, yeah. We ask a lot of awareness. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. So, so how do you reflect on the left um, and the anti-racism movements in the Netherlands in terms of how they position themselves in the global struggle for decolonization and being positioned in the global north? Chihiro, do you want to go first uh, on this one or should I? Yeah. Um, yeah. So how do I reflect on the left? And I, I think mm -hmm. this reflection also goes to why we exist or the uh, that at least I feel personally that we need to exist is that I see that uh, this connection is not um, happening enough because I see there's a quite a Eurocentric view also within the anti-racist movement in the left within the Netherlands. To give you an example, uh, mm -hmm. let's say George Floyd happened and everyone gets on the street about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And that's legitimate completely and we should do that. 
But the thing is, uh, if, if we look at the Maricana massacre, for instance, where 35 mine workers a few years ago were massacred for white capital, like a, an English-British company was there in South Africa still, 80% of the land there still owned by white settler uh, offspring. And uh, they were protesting for better uh, wage labor. And then there were 30 mine workers were shot. Black people were shot. Mine workers yeah. who were working for white capital, exploited workers. And this is then not seen as a, in relation to something that is connected to what, what we're living of here. So there you see, uh, uh, and that's also police violence that is uh, connected to capitalism, how it's formed. So you don't see this link made to racism and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, um, movement work that is making the connection with capitalism. And um, so, yeah, it's this, it's, it's um, this, this, this thing that I, that I notice, uh, it's always, yeah, focused on within the Netherlands. If you look at who gets visibility, it's often the people with, uh, and I, I include myself in that group as well. I mean, I might mm. look like a person of color to a white person, but within the spectrum of privileges, I, you know, I embody a, a higher education, I have mixed background. I, I'm born here. I speak the language well. So there's a whole other group within the anti-racism, uh, let's say, field that I see have less visibility or voice that mm. would uh, also bring with them from their background uh, uh, stories or perspectives that would want to critique the system because they are here because the system is over there. Okay. And I see this link uh, is not made often enough, um, this connection, and I would finish my let's say contribution also by what I found a very inspiring uh, quote by uh, uh, Malcolm X who was talking about uh, when he was in the civil rights movement he talked about the distinction between civil rights and human rights mm -hmm. and he said we should move away from civil rights like uh, because then we're only fighting for our rights as black people within the U.S. border system but if we talk about human rights then we also include the people uh, of the African continent, et cetera, because we, our way of life yeah. is gonna destroy their way of life. So we cannot yeah. have an anti-racist movement that's based on civil rights because civil rights are colonial. Mm -hmm. So this kind of narrative, I, I really still miss in the anti-racist movement in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. uh, which is what, and, and I'm not someone who's gonna tell others to, because everyone is busy, everyone does, does from their heart. I also mm -hmm. believe it. But so then I'm like, okay, then <laughs> if I have this critique, then we should start ourselves building that narrative up. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of them will be willing to stand next to what we're doing our work as well. Uh, yeah. But that's something I would like to focus on uh, with what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. I think we can learn much more about capitalism and racism and the connection. And because we all are, we all are connected worldwide. Um, yeah, I, I can add to it 100% uh, mm -hmm. on, on what Max just shared. And I think, um, what I want to uh, say is actually connected between what Chris just shared and Max just shared. Because um, I think when it comes to ex expanding our anti-racism and decolonial practices, it actually comes from this idea that colonialism rules through divide and conquer. So that we, we you know, if, if we are not rooted in international solidarity, we stay within the constructs of all these binaries and boxes and borders. And those are colonial borders, colonial constructs. So many countries have just been a figment of colonial imagination yeah. where yeah. other people are still um, dealing with the effects of that. So 
the first um, I would want to say is like um, um, the border is an herida abierta, an open wound. It is a wound between people and it still bleeds. It's by Gloria Ansaldua. And I think from this, um, we, we must, we have an imperative to, um, to strengthen our anti-racism and decolonial struggle internationally. Because what we see also with the Black Lives Matters protest is that when there is a, a, a Black Lives Matter protest for undocumented people, it is shocking how few people were at the museum playing because their lives have been so devalued, not just mm. over the axis of yeah. uh, color, but other markers of undesirability within this colonial structure of division. And so when we work uh, beyond all those borders, we actually strengthen our humanity and go beyond civil rights, go beyond even human rights, I would say, and, and, and talk about the dignity of life, which also includes a lot of our environmental struggles and the way that environmental racism shows up. And so, yeah, I think, I think there are all these layers and it's mm -hmm. not to say that the people who are working so hard and so tirelessly in the anti-racism movement are, are bad in any way, but more like we need uh, a bigger container for uh, a stronger movement that actually can deal with the ways that um, hegemony and, and the system works to appropriate and, and, and um, kind of steal our movement for its own uh, purpose of dividing mm -hmm. and conquering again. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice, strong. Thank you, uh, Shihiro. Thank you. Talking about human rights and civil rights, let's talk about spiritual rights as well. So, is, which role does healing or spirituality play for you? So, what makes spirituality important, and what does holistic liberation mean? Well, I can uh, do a contribution to that. Um, Spirituality to me is just a way of living. It's just like how I organize my life, how I organize my ideas, my thoughts, how I act towards people or towards humans, uh, towards like animals, how I just be. And uh, it's part of this cosmovision I believe in. Uh, and the belief is something that goes beyond me. Like it's uh, most of the time I sense that spirituality is not, uh, it's a concept that is very difficult maybe for some people in the Western society to understand it. Like for example, a concrete ex example is like, how do we uh, view children? How mm. are the children actually yours? Is it your child? Can you possess a child? Can you claim a child? Uh, from my point of view, no, never. You can't do that because a child is part of this universe and this universe is so much um, uh, bigger than we can imagine. And the uh, imagination is also like something that um, um, is related to, to, to what you believe. So you have many principles, ancestral principles, for example, that comes from way back. Uh, that is really like something that is being given uh, from generation to generation. And uh, we sometimes believe that it's not there, but I think when you do find ways to get to the spiritual level, you can find like the, the, the messages and you need to be open to that. 
world, uh, especially in uh, the world of activism, I see a lot of people are shouting uh, and they are angry and they try to create this like destructive um, force to, uh, you know, uh, to, to uh, damage the colonial system, which is totally fine with me because we need to get the change. We need to make sure that we no longer have uh, like this, this destructive force in our lives. But uh, it's more like how, how, what is your guidance to this? Mm. And um, uh, I think that when you have, uh, when you really want to have to change, you need to unlearn the global mindset of destruction not only in your mind, but also in how you act. So the, unlearn, uh, the unlearning of the global mindset starts with your values, with your principles and with your beliefs. And that is like your starting point. And then you go, okay, um, uh, to, to make sure that you stick to that, you make sure that wherever you come, you are guided by the principles, for example, of balance and harmony. So you do need to create a change. You do need to make sure that nobody's getting hurt by the injustice and nobody's getting hurt by, for example, racism. Because I also saw like many uh, questions, for example, by Darko, like what is mm. decolonization and how mm. is it not a buzzword? Mm. To be honest, I think when we want to decolonize, we need to create this holistic perspective, mm. meaning that you need to be a little bit more aware of that spirituality is part of decolonization. And um, uh, also healing, because mm. a lot of time when you are too angry, you can't heal and you're still hurting other people by your behavior, you're still doing that. So, um, and take a look at yourself is always a, a way for me to make sure that I keep my balance. It's still also hard because you do have your daily struggles, you do have your daily things, but uh, healing is not only like, like a responsibility for yourself as an individual. Um, I think that a lot of people think and we are like conditioned by that, that it's like an individual, like, like pets. But if you really want to heal, you need to do it in a collective way. So you need to make sure that the healing process is by doing um, like, like making sure that if someone is behind you, you go back and you take that person by the hand and you walk together and you're not making sure you make sure that nobody's leaving behind. So this healing process is really part of this decolonization. And mm. uh, if we forget the moments of healing and we forget the moments of uh, being spiritual, then we lose um, we lose the focus and we only go by shouting decolonize. But how? And what is really the purpose of that? Um, uh, so um, to, to, to me, it's really like, I want to make sure that if I'm going to make a change, I really do it differently. Mm. I make sure that my way of, um, of, of living and my way of, of like dealing with things is not by the hatred approach. It's not by the things that the way of how people always destroy the beautiful things of this world, they mm. always do it in a hard way. So mm. let us focus on how we get uh, this spirituality, like like um, voice and this like a healing um, perspective into one and, yeah. and make sure that we are 
trying to find ways of embedding this in our way of life, trying to unlearn the hard way and trying to make sure that we get a more softer way because the world is shit full of people, full of fools. And uh, with spirituality, maybe we get something different. Beautiful. Thank you, Chateleo. Thank you. Yes, we need a different energy to create changes and we should start with ourselves. Definitely, definitely. Thank you. Um, okay, thank you very much for the panel. We don't have much time because we, we are behind time. So I'm going further with the Q&A. Some questions. Let's see if I got some questions in the chat. Um, you already answered the questions of, of Darko, right? Ciao to Leo. Yeah, uh, in some fields, it seems as if decolonization is becoming a buzzword. Um, does Arales notice this as well? And how do you deal with this? Is, does anyone of the team wants to react on that one? Uh, oh, you want to go first, Chido? Uh, sure. Um, so I, I, I can't speak of how we as Arales as a whole have dealt yeah. with it on all occasions because we've just started for a year and done a couple of uh, projects uh, also, um, yeah, led by different people. But I think in general, yes, we recognize that this is a buzzword just like diversity. Then the next buzz is decolonization, especially in, in, in universities or, um, and such. It, it's really up to us to deepen its practice and its understanding. It's not gonna happen in and of itself, but just like I personally have used the diversity door to talk about decolonization, I will use the decolonization shallow door to deepen that and, and create deeper relationality and an understanding of, of historical oppressions that are oozing into the present. And so, the task stays the same because we always need to refine that what has been made shallow or erased at all. Um, so from my point of view, still the shallow offers more um, a jumping off point than the erased because before if I would propose uh, a film that would be about anything that has to do with indigenous resurgence, it would just be, well, we're a Dutch fund or we're a Dutch organization and that's not Dutch enough. Whereas mm -hmm. now the conversation is like, oh, we have to interface with that and now let's see what is the link. So that's a better starting off point for me personally. Um, I'm curious how others uh, relate to that. Yeah, I, if I can um, add to Shiro, I echo what Shiro says. And I also want to mention that um, for me, I consider it as a sign of progress that decolonization is now part of the mainstream debate. Um, so I think it's up to us indeed to use that as a momentum to in, indeed deepen that understanding. Um, and I think you know it's progress that we're now able to actually use that term rather than diversity, what we used to use, you know, and knowing the limits of, of, uh, of that. So uh, I think it's important to think in terms of progress, you know, for us mm. also to identify what are those milestones of progress. And one of the milestones is that we actually get to talk about decolonization. So, um, and I think that's also part of the work that we want to do is um, what are we fighting for, you know? And in, in, if we talk about anti-racism, you talk about what you're fighting against. 
and part of, of this collective is to really talk about what are we fighting for and that's all the things that we discussed today um, and um, in that sense um, I think we still have a lot of work to do um, because uh, we're still figuring out what are we fighting for because we are part, we're still part of this colonial pie trying to deconstruct it and dismantle it and we have to figure out what that looks like uh, in the present day and for the future. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you, Bravini. Okay, we have another question of Amal. I'm going to read it. Um, Hi, I have recently joined the Diaspora Policy Institute. We work mostly in Germany and with diverse African organizations. I noticed that big organizations play divide and rule by commissioning or not commissioning various trainers from the Black Jewish, Sinti and Roma queer communities. I feel it's important to counter this dynamic by combining our voices and to offer programs in collectivity on our own terms. So away from one of workshops and decolonizations as a side track add on, but the facilitation of changing colonial, colonial structures, interested to hear your experience and this on this and if and in what way we can collaborate, the joint international conference, etc. Amal. I, I think um, I think this is a very good and fundamental and very important uh, question that you pose, Amal. And this is something that I've noticed as well when I uh, zoom back to my university period with uh, activism there is that you see who gets certain positions or access to uh, streams of money uh, have to walk a certain talk or talk a certain walk. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they promote a certain narrative. So in that sense, I noticed that a lot of groups were then at some point getting competitive with each other over, let's say, a scarcity of resources instead of seeing a joint struggle. Even within a group, you could see this, but also between groups, you could see this. Uh, and, and yeah, groups fighting in on each other for visibility and recognition. And I think that's there where there's need for, um, because as Adelaide, this is also some conversations that we have and we don't have an answer. It's not, a, it, it's difficult because at the, on the other hand, uh, you want to have resources, let's say, to be able to do your activities, but you also want to keep your autonomy um and and that's like a balance that you uh need need to keep um all the time and um yeah i forgot my train of thought but i just want to say this is a very important note and i've, I've noticed it mm -hmm. and it's not something that i know how to fix directly but maybe team members have idea ideas about it uh just just want to say well... I, I recognize what you said I also recognize like how um, the powerful institutions um, directly or indirectly like divide uh, society or like small organizations. And uh, I used to be a fundraiser for like the bigger uh, institutions. So uh, it's always like this, this way of uh, presenting yourself. Uh, but I see it also in um, in how, um, for example, with um, a world of adoption, uh, there is this now this budget for reparations. So uh, mm. the Dutch the Dutch um, uh, government told us uh, like, okay, for example, you get one point two 
million euros. And this is like for 40,000 adoptees. So I figured out who gets what. So uh, this is where it starts, exactly where it starts, because then you get this kind of structure, the destructive like, like division. And um, um, I, just like Max saying, I don't have the answer, but the recognition of this kind of dynamics is step one. Mm. We do need to recognize it and we do need to acknowledge it because mm. the acknowledgement in itself is already decolonization because mm. we do see it. And um, it's not about giving now the solution, but let's start with the first steps and make sure that we say, yes, we see and we recognize it. I may be curious, except if other team members want to react as well, maybe Amal, do you have an idea about, um, because I, it's, a, it's a difficult problem, but uh, maybe you have encountered once that people have overcome this division. Uh, well, we had a first um, meeting with the uh, Sinti and Roma Council and the Jewish Museum to uh, look uh, in, in where we want to uh, get more um, organizations and people involved. Um, to um, form an alliance um, and uh, offer our programs collectively um, because there is the feeling that um, if we dictate what it is we feel is necessary and that's the best thing on the market because it comes as a joint action, then uh, in some way it's also a way of taking away that power of uh, I'm, 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 you know, <laughs> exaggerating, but you know, it feels still like we are somebody's slave, um, uh, needing to perform to terms that we don't uh, dictate. And I feel mm. it's necessary to take that power back, and we can do that by effectively um, collaborating. I, I'm, I have to say that I'm very pleased that uh, Diaspora Policy Institute has started that within the Black community, and now. It, they've asked me to come and diversify that even more. Mm. And, and yeah, my, my work is about making these bridges. Um, um, also, and I know there was a, a, a thing about intersexuality, but uh, I am, I'm, I'm, uh, my grandmother is Anna Israel um, on my mother's side and on my father's side is um, uh, I'm nomadic, uh, from a nomadic uh, Sudanese tribe. And I'm, uh, you know, uh, my father was Muslim. <laughs> so all, wow. a lot of those um, uh, uh, things there, they come uh, to one even in people like me. Um, uh, yet when you look at um, uh, how that is being facilitated, it's as if these things have nothing to do with each other and as if they don't impact each on its own. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I feel quite strongly that that um, that is a good way to come to a greater degree of unity and to to make sure that, uh, you know, much more people understand what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. Thank, Thank you. you, Amal. And it's also maybe a bridge to your next question, because you have a really interesting background. Amal's next question. Do you want to ask it yourself, Amal? Uh, when I have to see what I just wrote. Um, I have a second question, and that is one around ensuring each other's safety and well-being. The frontliners of us are being more and more targeted by extreme groups and individuals. I have gone through hell in the Netherlands, seeing a lot of good work actively destroyed by the powers to be. I left in protection of my family 
and being a travel in a traveler in the last year, I realize how many of us are displaced, not due to choice, but as a measure of to survive. Amaro. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, Max, do you want and then uh, me later after you? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, one of the things that we wanted to do also as Adeles, uh, and that's not way, uh, it, it's not enough, of course, uh, to, to make a right for this, but we do want to make space uh, for people to come together, uh, uh, yeah, to, to, how you say, recharge. Uh, so for instance, we want to develop, but we can't do it to, uh, due to the Corona and, and Zoom is not, uh, how you say, the right platform for this, but we, we are, we have we have ready already developed it, but we were waiting till it's allowed. Uh, created a landing space where people uh, from our networks can come together, have a collective meditation and a, a sound journey through music, and also a sharing circle where you just share what's happening. Because um, yeah, some things you don't control, as in what the outside how they respond to what you do, but how how it affects you, you can control to a certain extent, and and the way you can. Um, uh, uh, build more resilience if you have a community to which you can share this uh, pain who can recognize this pain who have maybe gone to a similar thing mm -hmm. and can then afterwards speak to you and give you back your strength or advice through previous experience so the resilience also comes from a community so I think one of the things we once a month it's going to be uh, we will have landing space sessions where we just come together not to produce something we're often coming together to produce something right it's a gathering we learn we take something but just to be to get back to land back to ourselves to share something so we can revitalize and take care of ourselves because that's half of the work otherwise if we are have traumatized or hurt in the field we're going to hurt then our allies that's going to then create maybe another division uh because it was you know these kind of things happen so i think uh creating spaces where we take care of each other so of our own resilience is one of the possible answers and another of course uh being able to prevent it, but that's something we can do and hope and we hope to do once the Corona also uh, allows people to come together in smaller groups and this will also be for smaller groups. Yeah. Yeah, this is a nice answer and doing. Um, yeah, we have created also the indigenous liberation where we have some ceremonies and one of the rules is uh, when we are at the ceremony, we lose our ac activism and we put it in the store because then we are just open for the ceremony and we are open for the intentions we want to create together. Um, so um, let me tell you one short story. Uh, it only takes one minute, uh, but it helps me because I understand the pain, what is written like behind uh, or, uh, you know, I, I see your pain. Uh, in a way, um, there was this boy and he was eight years old and he was taken by the colonists, by the Spaniards. And uh, his father was being murdered and he was taken by the biggest general. So that guy really saw this boy and he really wanted to have him as his son. So he was raised him with lots of love. He was raised him pretty well. And the boy uh, got to know, get to know the Spanish like, like way of living. So uh, he was able to uh, take care of the horses. He was able to, you know, to walk 
in the room where the Spaniards were uh, deliberating the strategies how to attack the indigenous communities. So he was really listening. So he was taken and put somewhere else outside his community and it wasn't his choice. So he was trying to survive. Once he got older, uh, at a rainy night, he thought, okay, this is the moment I need to leave. And he left. And, uh, but he left with a lot of like, like good lessons because he knew their Spanish strategy. He knew how they were attacking and he knew their gaps and their weaknesses. So uh, when he got back to his community, he became the biggest, like, like the, uh, the biggest <laughs> enemy of the Spanish people. And uh, the Mapuche people were never colonized or like uh, by, by the Span Spaniards because of his like, like uh, hardship, his, his like survival. So when I'm thinking about myself or when my, for example, my son is getting all these like feelings about feeling displaced or feeling need to, you know, his need to survive, then I try to find ways in, uh, I, I find, find my strengths in this kind of stories because in a way we are here and we need to survive. So that's a fact, mm. I can't yeah. change that. But how can we make sure that we still get this resilience and how can we make sure that we have this ancestral um, storytelling that gets uh, us up every day. And uh, when we wake up, we know we have this purpose. Mm. So it's just like a short story about getting resilience by uh, taking uh, us uh, to our ancestral like like uh, heroes. It was yeah. my short contribution. One <laughs> Thank minute. you, Catulea. <laughs> it was a bit more than one minute, but it's okay. We need more collaboration. We need to take more care of each other. Um, we are short in time. I see on other questions from Mace and from Katerina. I will get back to that at the end. Uh, I will go further with the program and that's uh, taking a review on the past activities and see what more we could expect from Arales. Um, and therefore I would start with Chihiro. Chihiro? Um, yeah, Chihiro. She's still there? I'm here, I'm waiting for the question. Okay. <laughs> Are you still I'm here to you? Okay, sorry. Can you tell us about the Shell Must Fall exposition? <laughs> How does this project relate to the vision of Arales? Sure, yeah. So I think, yeah, in this part, we just want to give a, a, a small recap of a few things we've already done mm -hmm. and then how the decolonial series is, you know, going to unfold because this first session is a bit different than the other sessions. Um, but uh, for the expo, um, it was uh, something I was able to do last year. Um, and it focused on a hundred years resistance against colonial Dutch Shell, the wow. biggest corporation of the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And where um, Shell has been uh, a lot in the news, uh, even by mainstream media, they will write something about it needing to clean up or something that they are in some way contributing to climate change. Um, but there is this false narrative of that is something that is popping up now that we need to do now as if it hasn't had a long, long history of contestation and that hasn't been led by uh, colonized people, by people who are fighting back because of exploitation and appropriation of their 
lands and lives and health and livelihoods. So with this expo, um, we had 20 pieces, installations, walls um, that went through um, that uh, long history of protest uh, in many shades, in many forms, starting mm. in Indonesia and looking at how, how the house has been on fire uh, for more than a hundred years in, in certain places where Shell first landed and where it you know, has its, its power from, where it, 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 it um, stole the resources through colonial rules that were very much um, blurred with colonial politics of the Dutch government. And so it puts the whole um, uh, different questions in different contexts around the question of what to do with Shell yeah and that it's not just about a court case that they need to clean up which is of course very important and they do need to clean up but that is a deeper analysis that they actually um there needs to be restorative justice for all these communities for all these landscapes definitely and that's what the the, the expo did it was infused by the NASM in Amsterdam in collaboration with um, Milia Defensi, me and my partner Anna uh, Bisila um, organized it. So, wow, great! Can we see if we want to spot? If you can, we see any? Can we read somewhere more about the show? Uh, definitely, there's different podcasts that we did around the expo, and for Greenpeace, there was an article. Uh, it's all my website in the blog. Okay. And also on the Arales website, there's uh, some links to some side events that we did in, in Buck um, with different speakers, also building coalition because around everything that we do, it's better when we do it with more partners. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that um, was very important also to have voices from Nigeria and voices from Curaçao and um, build that relationality into it. Nice, nice collaborations. Thank you. Thank you, Shiro. Thank you. Keep up the good work. And then we go to Chris. Chris, what can you tell us about the art of resistance? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Shalene. Um, the Arts of Resistance is a, a, a long-term project, which uh, I've been setting up uh, in collaboration with um, uh, Afro Grooves and uh, Afro Perspective, so we're doing this together. Uh, and basically, as the name already indicates, it's about arts and it's about resistance. Uh, because one of the things um, we noticed is that um, I think everybody who has been an activist for a long time can kind of feel the drain. Uh, and you know, at, at first you're very inspired, maybe you're even enraged, or you know, you're very moved, but you you can get grind grinded down eventually. And we need this kind of new strength, new inspiration. We need community. And music is such an effective, and art more generally as well, such an effective tool uh, to bring that about. Um, so it, it, I think it's really important for our communities to bring these two together and to create spaces uh, where that's possible. Uh, but it also works the other way around um, because it's also a very effective tool in making our community bigger, making our movement bigger, which we do need to win because we do want to win eventually. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, um, uh, it's it's eventually also want to really create a different voice, uh, at mm -hmm. least within within the Amsterdam scene. Who knows? Eventually, it might be bigger than that, but uh, a different voice in in the cultural scene. 
Yeah, um, what, what can we expect in the coming period from? Yeah, so what we've already done is a, is a festival in December, um, which uh, was a combination of um, a panel discussion, uh, live music, um, um, poetry, spoken word, and we'll do a similar festival again uh, towards the end of summer. Uh, hopefully it will look a bit different then because in December it was of course mostly live stream um, and um, and the theme for the for the one this summer will be uh, solidarity uh, with colonized nations with the global south um, and uh, Chihiro will be there uh, Profini might be there we're not sure yet uh, but uh, we'll have uh, different programs as well uh, workshops, uh, training uh, beginning artists in uh, writing more revolutionary songs, writing songs for movements, uh, organizing, things like that. Uh, so yeah. we're excited to do that. And we'll have some community sessions to, you know, really build build this kind of revolutionary art community. So it's a long-term project. We have a lot of things. There will be some live casts as well. Um, yeah. So a lot of things coming. So just, uh, yeah, check the website. It should be coming online quite soon, actually. Uh, this should have been happening already like a year ago, but you know, <laughs> Corona happened. So everything is postponed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's that's the basics. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Looking forward to the festival. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Um, then I go on to Bravini. Bravini, you have produced a toolkit that is called Decolonize the Mind. Maybe you can tell us more about that. And um how was it received and how can people use it and what can we expect, of course? Yeah, so um, the toolkit is based on the film, The Uprising. Um, I made The Uprising uh, with the intention to offer an educational resource for people in the movement um, who want to take on an educational uh, or facilitator role. Um, because what I noticed is that people are really looking for um, activities or, or, or resources to engage people in decolonization and decolonizing the mind. Um, so uh, the toolkit is based on the film uh, where you can use the segments of the film and uh, related to either a theoretical exercise or a practical exercise or a little bit of both. And um, to translate basically the theory to the, the context of whoever you're working with. So it offers actual activities, you know, from um, writing a letter to your ancestors um, or creating visuals that um, reflect um, or uh, criticize uh, colonial um, uh, colonial legacies in, in, in the space that you're in. Um, and I uh, and it's it's offered for free. It's uh, uh, for free, um, a free download on my website. Nice. Uh, the film The Uprising is also available for free on YouTube, so um, I really want to make the information accessible uh, to people who want to use it, and it's actually now uh, both the film and the toolkit are being used in, um, in educational institutions, um, so in that sense, um, yeah, educators, um, great. that's really great. useful for them. That's great. And if 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 uh, if you haven't seen the movie of documentary of Pravini, The Uprising, it's a must-see documentary. So uh, you can find it on the website of Adeles, right? Including with the toolkit. So yes, yes, it's yeah. findable there. Okay. 
Thank you, thank you, Praveeni. Um, last question to Child Leo and Max. Maybe you can tell us more about the Indigenous Liberation Series, the ceremonies and the manifestations. We start. I'm going to point to you. <laughs> um, well, um, in a, okay. Um, we started this um, sequence because we wanted to, of course, uh, when you think about decolonization, decolonization, you think about Columbus, you think about what happened in 1492 when he entered Abiyayala. So uh, it was interesting to see like, there are so many diaspora indigenous here in the Netherlands. Uh, you have no idea. Uh, you have no idea how many knowledge, how many like like wisdom, how many people are walking here in Amsterdam, uh, complete like displaced in a way, but also very much rooted in uh, the Netherlands. So uh, it was so interesting to see, okay, how can we unite and how can we build this community? Because we do have something in common that is like our ancestral way of living, but also our future dreams. And one of the dreams uh, we had was okay uh, we do need to uh, decolonize we do need to make sure that uh, th that is what we want to achieve but also we want to achieve healing and we want to achieve like spirituality and um, working uh, to, to integrate more the cosmic vision so um, I think the process uh, is something that Max can explain uh, about like how did we do that and how was the community being built uh, but one of the things that uh, we do want to achieve, uh, for example, for this year is to create a manifestation. Uh, we, we really want to make sure that uh, we tackle this Columbus Day because it's still being celebrated in, uh, in Latin America as a way of, okay, this was the day we celebrate it because that guy, that dude has entered our continent. But uh, we, we forget totally the, the consequences of him being entered in uh, Latin America, the, the, the murder, uh, the rape, the rape people, like uh, there were so many like, like uh, yeah, um, genocide, genocide practices. Um, I don't even know all those kinds of bad things happened um, afterwards. Um, so there are so many things we need to discuss and we need to deliberate and there are so many people here available. So yeah. the only thing we need to do is get them together and make sure that we create this spark and it's being handed over. Okay, Max, now the process. <laughs> Um, I think also due to the time, I'm just gonna, um, I, I wanna keep it really short um, about the process. It's actually also on our website. You can read it and watch also the back and just feel free to email if you want, if you're curious about it. I just, um, I'd rather say something a last thing than maybe about the indigenous liberation uh, because I'm not, I don't have an um, indigenous background in that sense, but one of my motivations to also joined together with this diaspora and with Chautuleo and others in our group to, to set this up is because I think, uh, yeah, we, uh, a lot of times when we talk about colonization and decolonization, uh, we are talking about the hurt or the, yeah, the catastrophes. Uh, and what I find uh, beautiful is that, um, uh, at least for me and humbling, is that there's, there's, there's alternative ways, there's alternative values, ethics, 
ways of relating to each other, to life on earth, etc. We can learn so much. So uh, this needs to be heard. If we are gonna get towards a system, we're really good at critiquing often, uh, but we need to learn to listen and be a bit humble and see if we can uh, change and learn something. So that was also one of my motivations, at least to, to put this in a hope um we'll be able to contribute to that um and i think we just have to finish with saying something about the yeah the learning sessions because the i also want to respect learning, learning sessions. sessions yeah yes maybe you can take it over from there yeah i'll just uh say something short about that what people can also expect because i know zoom is also more draining uh than real life conversations and and uh you know if if the, if if we wouldn't have the corona i would have loved to make dinner for you all together with with our team or with volunteers because for me community building doing these things together is really part of it and i find it sometimes difficult to um to keep the energy up also in this online space so um yeah i say i hope you you are forgiving and we are learning um <laughs> for that and once we can i i would love to make uh you know, uh, dinner together and everything. Um, but about the learning sessions, uh, I think we have touched a lot today. Like, you know, Chihiro added something, then Chautelea, Profini, Chris, you, Amal. And they, there are a lot of concepts that need more deepening. And I've organized a lot of years, uh, events over the years, but there's a panels and you have a lot at once. So this is more like recorded in Zoom in-depth sessions uh, with a lecture or an in-depth Q&A and then interactive session with one person where you can really delve more deeply into something and it will be recorded. There will be listening and watching tips and that will be posted on our blog. So uh, every two weeks, there's a session on a different topic. So one can be on the university, there's one or anti-racism on the work floor, another about climate justice. You can just see what, what fits you and uh, hope you also share it with those who are maybe interested in that topic but to really create a space where there's more in-depth learning, because I think that is missing, uh, uh, yeah, free, accessible, available information and in-depth knowledge. Uh, so I hope we can contribute with these learning sessions to that. Uh, okay. And in our mailing list, people can follow it and keep updates and on our Facebook page. And Max, can yeah. uh, participants uh, send ideas or suggestions? Suggestions for the decolonial, the colonial learning sessions for sure for sure and i, I like the first ones we'll we'll do as our members uh our, our teams ourselves are going to do the first uh, few sessions they are in a okay. line now also to just see how it goes technically so we are prepared when we uh, ask others as well because we're learning by doing as well um and uh but from after the summer onwards we will have also, of course, open for suggestions. So do feel free to suggest also if you think something fits our perspective, someone that should be heard, um, uh, then yeah, please contact us. And what is exciting about Corona or A plus point is that with the online space, we can also have international voices. Uh, so also the blog will be a mix between Dutch sessions and English sessions, depending on if it's an international speaker or local speaker. So it will be mixed languages. We'll put there as well which language it is. Um, but yeah, we can also have uh, voices from other parts of the world uh, from which we can learn also because of this online space. So that's, uh, I think, then an added value of, uh, yeah, where, that we're doing this. Okay. Thank you, Max. Thank you very much. We will look forward to the, uh, the, colonial, the colonial learning sessions bi-weekly, right? Every two weeks? Yes. 
Okay. Um, now we're already out of time. It's four minutes past. And uh, so we still have two questions. What we're going to do with the two questions? Are we going? Um... Uh, I'm, I'm fine with uh, answering them and staying, but also wanting to give people the chance to to be able to leave if, if they're, uh, you know, tired or have kids around. Yeah, I, I saw some people at Ramadan mm -hmm. that are getting hungry. So, you know, there's a, lots of reasons. So don't feel offended if you leave. I think, except, yeah, if we, if we don't have practical points from our side, so feel free to leave, but then we can stay. I, I'm happy to stay. Okay. I actually do have to leave. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. um, but I do want to thank, thank everyone uh, for joining us today. And I look forward to engaging in more conversations in the future. Also to Charlene for hosting uh, tonight and to my okay. team members. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. And thank I will you. see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Is there anybody else of the team members that have to leave? No, everybody could stay. Okay, let's go to the questions first. We had a question of Mace de Lind van Wijngaarden. Um, connected to the present topic, do you, do you think it's necessary to heal collective trauma? And in what way could we give form to that? And who should be involved? Collective trauma. Yes. <laughs> um, and there's so many um, levels and so many ways and so many processes. I think for us, we've been having more and more conversations uh, about reparative justice and how um, when we um, are advocating justice, we shouldn't just look at punitive and um, distributive justice, those are really anchored in institutions where our agencies are often deferred and um, we, we miss out on healing, whereas restorative and generative justice um, together uh, can build a path of reparative justice. And so this is definitely something that we are um, interested in both as a practice to, to address our collective wounds as well as um, analyzing, uh, learning from other people who've already had such processes and what you know goes right and what still is an open wound and um, what can we advance. So there's a lot of interest there. I think um, one thing that for me uh, as a person who is from indigenous descent but grown here in the Netherlands with a very Dutch family. Um, I've really learned a lot from collective trauma healing through um, artists in Canada, like uh, Bonita Lawrence, uh, who wrote a book about um, real Indians and the others, and the way that we still, you know, get erased in our, yeah, in our own societies. So there are certain books but depending on which trauma you are dealing with, mm. the collective trauma, there will be different doors. I think the landing space is definitely a place where you can even start to listen to your own body, like what is coming up in, in the traumas that are alive in your body. Um, because the body is so wise and it has so many ways of informing. And in the beginning, you may not hear her or your body and 
the more you listen, the more the body whispers to you. So I do think that these, these kind of moments that we're building, um, building a habit of listening into, in, into our um, uh, wound, wounds as well to, to do collective healing, uh, starting with examining like what's alive for you that needs addressing in order not to reproduce wounds that are, uh, have been done to you. So that would be my grain of salt, uh, grain of sand in the. I have also maybe one thing to add because there was also like, how can we give form to that? Um, for example, uh, when you are adopted, you can see it from uh, different angles. Um, my uh, family weren't seeing my adoption as, okay, she is adopted. No, I was missing. So uh, there is this a nice um, collective trauma like initiative of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. And it's like even a hashtag and many people are joining now because it's a big problem. Many indigenous women are facing uh, real danger uh, throughout like uh, Latin America or the Americas. So um, this um, symbol has been created. It's like a red hand on your face. And it symbolizes uh, not only the trauma, but also like you should shut up about these issues. Uh, so um, for me, it was really like, wow, there are so many people with uh, similar stories. I was missing, but I was uh, sh being shut uh, because uh, I was adopted. So when you have this symbol, or when you see this symbol uh, at murals, you see the symbol, people actually like, like uh, marathon uh, runners are actually having this symbol while doing marathon. So it's really about getting this open in the air and getting this collective trauma being visualized in art, in culture, and make sure that anyone can see it and anyone can uh, recognize this symbol of murdered indigenous women. So uh, for, to me, it was really like uh, one of the most um, yeah, beautiful moments uh, in my life that I have seen this, this symbol, but also like one of the moments that I thought, well, so many people are hurt, so many families, so many people are still missing and we don't know anything about it. The police is doing nothing, the injustice towards indigenous women, we don't even go there. We have like a lot of things to do, but if we have this hand in the open, we say no more, no more. And that is really like one of the things that I enjoy, like art and like this kind of collective trauma being visualized. Maybe one thing I'd like to add is that, you know, to some extent, um, all trauma is collective trauma. Like there, there's no trauma that that is entirely individual. You're never alone, whatever you're going through. Um, and I think because all trauma is collective, working through it and doing it in a collective way is also uh, has such huge potential for transformation and turning it into movements. Um, and one thing I was uh, thinking about uh, listening to your answers was uh, uh, reparation masterclass uh, I did a few years back with uh, Esther Stanford Kose, uh, who's, uh, who's a reparationist, um, Pan-Africanist, and uh, she's done a lot of work around that. And what I found very beautiful was that for her, like uh, one of the most important parts of the, her reparations framework was the principle of non-repetition. Um, so that 
what happened can never happen again. Um, so she wasn't just, you know, it wasn't like some financial thing of give me some money for, you know, this or that. It, it's it's really about changing the world. That's what collective trauma is about. That's what mm. collective healing is about. Mm. Um, so that's that. That was my uh, my little stone in the pond. Powerful, powerful. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Okay, we're going on to the last questions, and it's from Katerina Alvarez. Uh, how do you take intersectionality into account in your work? How multiple oppressions intersect, and at the end, we can't tell apart which oppression affects what. For example, how men and women often experience racism differently, just as how women of different races can experience sexism differently. What are your what are your perspective on intersectionality in your work? <laughs> Go for it, Max. Yeah. <laughs> I was also waiting for Max. Uh, oh. Please uh, fill in as well. But um, I think if you look at intersection, intersectionality, um, it is such an important concept as in uh, if you'd look about who, who we're talking about, if, uh, you know, if we want to talk about decolonization and you talk about uh, only race, let's say, then uh, you take away half of the experience of the group that has been colonized plus the LGTB community. So you're talking about more than half of the people colonized uh, as in um, uh, for who this concept can be useful. Um, so I, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lens that can help us understand the complexity and in, 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 in differences um but it's it's also um a lens that i think sometimes it's very um yeah how you say um selectively used also in, in terms of diversity so people use like intersectionality as uh also like the word decolonization been hyped a lot uh where where i basically uh, some of the dimensions within intersectionality are seen less so for instance, I would say like a class or migration background or geographic where you are located in the world. These are things that are sometimes missed a lot, which I think refer then again to making invisible current colonial structures. So I think, um, yeah, intersectionality helps us as a lens to see these uh, things merging. Uh, but at the same time, it's one of the many lenses that can help us. And I think, uh, yeah, you have a spiritual lens that you can approach things with and an intersectional lens that you can approach things with. So it's more, I think, one of the things we need to have in our pockets, let's say, of different lenses we can use to do the work right and fitting for different peoples. And also, um, I, I think when building community, it's also important to recognize different experiences in the sense, I mean, we've, we've talked about traumas, so there's also different traumas. Uh, and if you don't have an intersectional lens, you might not notice that um, there can be a need for certain groups to separate or be amongst people who have similar experiences. Uh, so I think this lens can also help uh, noticing what are different needs within groups. Uh, um, yeah, so, so, so I would say it's, it's an enriching concept. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if there was a soothing answer, but... I can add something. Um, so um, 
as intersectionality came into my life in my activism, I was super happy with it as an intervention in uh, a legal system, uh, a governance in a culture that is uh, always um, pretending to be um, more of a of a universal way or a monoculture way or a purity way and doesn't really understand the different overlap or the different distinctions. So it, it's a very um, um, uh, helpful tool to uh, make interventions like Kimberly Crenshaw initially did. Um, and recently I came across the work, uh, well, recently I was listening to Sandy Grande. Um, she's an amazing um, uh, writer, scholar, um, teacher, uh, indigenous Quechua living in the US. And she wrote a book, Red Pedagogy, um, where she uh, analyzes um, different critical thought, um, um, anarchism, feminism, like different ways that um, have been accepted by academia and how that intersects with indigenous uh, studies or indigenous thought. And um, intersectionality came up and she said, it's a very helpful tool for a colonized world <laughs> to um, gain sensitivity. But for my own indigenous cosmology, we are already context-based, we are already whole, we already have uh, um, room for the different layers. So it's not something that comes authentically to my cosmology, but living in this colonized uh, governance and culture and uh, legal system, it is a very helpful means for movement to make the, the needed interventions. And I thought that was a, a very, uh, helpful enrichment for me as well uh, in where where I am in my activism. Um, and I can really recommend uh, uh, the book from Sandy Grande, Red Pedagogy and talks on YouTube. You can also find uh, about decolonizing education from this, uh, uh, her indigenous perspective. Wow, thank you. Thank you, Shinira. Max. I had one small thing to add that I forgot to tell uh, as well, what I think with thinking in boxes, like, okay, we can analyze racism, then we analyze gender, then we analyze uh, queer hatred, etc. If you look, if you take them separately, I don't also think you can understand the system well enough and how the oppressions are interlinked as well. To give one example, uh, when they were colonizing, uh, there was a beautiful lecture of Black queer trans resistance. Uh, uh, Julian Wigbertsen, who did the research on how uh, the Dutch entered uh, and, and were uh, Christianizing, let's say, uh, the enslaved people there. And one of the yeah, um, ways to inferiorize and be racist towards uh, other cultures was like, hey, they allow homosexuality, they have this and that identity so they are primitives so also this so this uh queer hatred was also basically a form of anti-blackness or a way to dehumanize others was because they were allowing certain sexualities to be there and uh also with gender oppression if you look at the witch burns in europe 
and that to see uh, women as irrational, childlike, uh, emotional, etc. These are things then also put to subjects on the racialized group. So there, it's it's. Uh, I would say if you want to completely understand racism as well, then you can also see how uh, they are not completely separate. There, there's differences and everything, but there, there, there's also overlap. So I think uh, there was a beautiful quote also by Naomi Peter that said, um, shit, I don't know the quote, I have to paraphrase it. <laughs> uh, but uh, it said something like, uh, uh, it, um, basically you cannot be, uh, um, be you say you're against uh, you're, you're against uh, anti-black racism if you're also against uh, homophobia because they are interlocked. It's it's part of the identity of the cultures to be tolerant towards these things. So it's 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 connected. Um, she put it better. I hope it was followable. The paraphrase, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Max. Okay, we run way out of time, and I've learned also that I've, I've there's so much books that I still have to read. And there are so many people that inspires the team of Arales. Is there somewhere on the website, like a collective or uh, where we can read or find all the books, documentaries, films, musicians, artists who inspired all of you? I think the decolonial learning sessions is an effort to do that in a structured way. So ah, each blog entry will have a few um, uh, suggestions for reading, watching, very specific on one topic, so we can deep dive. Wow, wow, thank you. Okay, thank you, Shihiro. Okay, so we really have come to an end to the of this online event. Um, I want to thank everybody on behalf of Arales to be here with us tonight. We are, we are already a, some kind of small community that is even growing and growing. Uh, let's collaborate much more and bring great changes, I hope. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, uh, or you could subscribe for the newsletter. Uh, you can find the link to subscribe for the newsletter on Facebook and on our website. Uh, keep in mind that our annual report uh, will be published soon. And of course, our decolonial learning sessions that will start on May 5th. The first session will be about decolonizing universities and it will be in Dutch. Uh, so check out our Facebook event, uh, Decolonial Learning Sessions or go to our website for more information. And of course, we hope to see you all soon again physically, but for now, stay safe and take care. <laughs>